Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. Turns out tuning World Cup race skis is a bit like witchcraft. We recently sat down with Cameron Smith at the Head Skis HQ in Boulder, Colorado. Cameron runs the race department for Head USA and we had a very interesting and in-depth conversation about tuning World Cup race skis. We covered all the major aspects of ski tuning, including base and edge angles, base prep, and waxing. But we also talk about why World Cup racers have 50 skis per discipline, the elusive speed wagon, and the delicate balance of science and superstition in ski racing. So here it is, my conversation with Cameron Smith. So today we're here at Head USA in Boulder, Colorado. I'm here with Cameron Smith, and we're going to talk a little bit about ski racing, tuning specifically. Um, but first, Cameron, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got started in your current role at Head? Yeah, of course. Um, so my current role is U.S. competition and uh, team manager. So basically that entails the whole U.S. Uh, for race and free ride, as well as our ambassadors, PSIA uh, members. Um, yeah, so basically anyone uh, or anyone, anything in the ski world that uh, you know is is out there on our product and uh, showing it off, I guess, or, or sponsored as well. Um, so I grew up ski racing. I went to Burke Mountain Academy and then came to CU, University of Colorado, and skied on the ski team there for four years, where I was part of two national championship teams. And then I was the assistant coach for a year after I graduated. Um, following the year of coaching, I then became the Western Race and Promotions Associate for HEAD uh, for the last couple of years, and then recently was promoted to uh, the whole nation in my current role now. So lots of ski racing in my history, as well as skiing all over the world. Cool. Well, I think that, that probably bodes well for this podcast. We're going to try and get into talk a little bit about tuning and specifically race tuning. So as far as I understand in tuning, there are kind of two two main things, edges and bases that, that we kind of talk about. I think we can start by talking about edges. Um, can you talk a bit about edge tuning, putting an edge on the ski, um, the different ways to do it, and and kind of how, how that affects the ski just sort of in, in, in more general terms to start? Yeah, so <clears throat> there's definitely some different levels to uh, setting up a pair of skis or tuning the edges. So to begin with, like the, the biggest uh, or the most generic way is to send it through a big machine, such as like a Winterstagger or a Montana machine. And this is going to, you know, give you a pretty uh, rough tune in terms of ski racing tunes, but uh, it, it's a quick and easy way that um, you're going to get uh, a tune on the ski and at least set up the edge to what edge angle that you're looking for. So when, when you say rough tune, does that just mean kind of an imprecise tune? Uh, it's not necessarily imprecise. It's just... Um, it, it, it kind of depends on what stone or what sandpaper is in the machine. Um, but 
Yes, usually it it comes out of the machine with uh, what we call a hanger. So basically, you need to touch up the edges after they do come out of machine. Um, and the reason that you do that is because uh, you are hitting the edge with a pretty rough or, or coarse stone or sandpaper. And essentially, you know, you can think of your edges as a knife or sharpening a knife, where um, you're gonna basically go through a series of different stones to, um, I guess, knock down the burrs and just get it finer and finer. So it becomes, um, you know, there's no burrs on the edge and it's just nice and smooth. The, the goal of tuning a pair of skis is to make the edge completely smooth without any burrs. So you could literally run your finger down the edge and not feel a single nick um, on the edge. So yes, back to the original question here. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm off with this. <laughs> so with the with the machine, it's uh, it's just a fast and easy way because it's a machine doing it, right? And then, I, so I'd kind of say that's like the number one or most generic way to tune a ski. And then uh, the next step down would be using a handheld machine. So uh, there's a couple of different companies out there. So there's something called a snow glide, uh, a tri one or a trione, depending on what part of the world you're in. And uh, Swix just came out with a Swix Evo Pro Tuner, I think is what it's called. So these are handheld machines that basically have a, a small grinding stone. So it's like a mini version of a big Winter Stagger or Montana. Um, and this mini stone is uh, going around in a circular pattern, right? They're rotating. Um, it's a disc stone. And that basically hits the edge and, uh, yeah, just hits the side edge and will, uh, yeah, sharpen the ski, I guess. And again, all these uh, different handheld machines have different stones that you can put in them. So there's a coarse stone, a medium stone, and a fine stone. And so let's say you get a brand new pair of skis, you're going to probably use the coarse stone first because you're going to want to set the edge or set the edge angle of the ski. And then as soon as that edge angle is set, um, you're pretty much good for uh, the, the rest of the season. You're going to, because you're going to keep hitting it with a, a three degree, let's say a three degree edge angle. Um, so then you can move, you can change that stone out to a, medium or a fine, just depending on your preference and how much hand tuning you want to do after you hit it with the, with the handheld machine. So, um, so these handheld machines, I'm imagining kind of like a, like a handheld router, almost like just sort of like a hand power tool that you're going to push yep. up against the edge of the ski. There'll be like a guard or something. So you don't yep. blow right through it, but you kind of just run it up and down the edge. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. So the snow glide and the tri one are definitely more expensive. They're like 2,500 to three grand. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty yeah. penny, but, um, you know, you'll see some world cup techs using, using those machines. Um, especially when they're, like I was saying, they're setting up the edge for the season. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a faster and more efficient way. Um, it's a little bit more precise than, a um, than a, a big machine, a big robot machine, let's say, like I was talking about before, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's just an easier way um, to, to set up a lot of pairs of skis. I mean, these guys are, you know, they'll start with something towards uh, maybe 50 pairs, let's say, and then they'll narrow down to like 20 or 10. Uh, is that like, is that a per athlete? Yeah, and that's per discipline. <laughs>
<laughs> so wait, 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 wait. I, I, I digress. First of all, why why do they have fifty pairs of skis for a discipline? Do, do they, are they picking a ski that they like specifically? Like yeah. So let, let's just talk about like downhill, for example. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So in the, let's say you're Axel Lundsvindal, and you just got done with the season. So it's probably it's like late March, early April. At that point, they might take like a week or two off, and then the tech is back in the factory with 50 new pairs of skis, and he's starting to wax them all. And he'll wax all of those skis probably, I don't know, 10 times, so 10 times 50, 500 times, right? Before those skis even touch snow. Then he'll, the tech or Svindle will go with him to some glacier and they'll go to a speed track and they'll speed test these downhill skis. Uh, between those 50 pairs of skis, they might narrow it down to 30 then. So what, I mean, what, what factors make one ski outperform another in that, in that scenario? Uh, so this, <laughs> this is a funny, um, you know, a lot of people have different ideas about this or different superstitions. Basically, uh, the, the base material comes in this roll, right? And the, some people say that the, the inner part of the roll is the good part. That's so crazy. It is crazy. It's totally crazy. <laughs> but it's like uh, imagine like a cinnamon, right? Or a yeah, cinnamon yeah. roll, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the inner part of that cinnamon roll is the good part, where you know all the flavors are. <laughs> so the the idea is that since it's the it's the center part of the roll, um, it, it will take a ski manufacturer a while to get to that center part, and so the center part has had some time to mature and you know become faster, if you will. It's kind of like a, a fine wine. Uh, and so they're basically <laughs> shooting to find the center roll base material. I don't know if that is true. You know, this this is like the the superstitious side of ski racing that you hear in the in the tuning room, right? These these old yeah. old folklore <laughs> stories. But I I kind of like to believe that because uh, yeah, I guess I'm a little superstitious myself. So that's that's fascinating. So basically, yeah. basically the athlete sits on the ski. Straight yep. down a speed course, they just time it, and he's just pick, he's looking for the fastest. Yeah, and it's usually it's pretty apparent of like what's faster and what's not faster, and then he'll take those skis, and um, you know those those not so fast ones will maybe get kicked down the road to a younger athlete. You know, not the athlete yeah. that's winning the World Cups, yeah, yeah. or the overall globes, um, and then. Uh, the same process goes goes into it again. Um, you know, there's different constructions. There's different base material as well. Again, back to the the cinnamon roll <laughs> analogy. Um, so you can have like a cold base or a warm base. So, you know, a lot of these texts they have these these notebooks that they keep all their notes in. And it's like their little bible. So they know exactly what ski what what ski the racer skied on for the race, what what they waxed, and you know they, they might have a pair of downhill skis that uh, wins in Vagen every year, right? Or is super fast, proven to be yeah, fast. Yeah. But that ski might be from you know like 2015 or 2014, but for some reason it's fast in Vagen. Yeah. But then the Kitzbühel ski is fast in Kitzbühel, and so it's like you That's always fascinating. try. You always try to get new skis in your quiver and kind of start cycling the old ones out. But for some reason, there's like these these uh, like diamonds in the rough or just, you know, these special skis that for some reason are so fast in certain 
courses in certain settings for that. So, oh, okay. So I, we should talk about tuning, but I just have, this is, this <laughs> yeah, is mind blowing to me. Um, so for, for our listeners at home, I did not grow up ski racing. I just grew up skiing. So this is like a whole new world to me. So I apologize to anyone who might think this is trivial, but okay. So let's say you've got a fast ski at Vangen and it's a four year old ski at this yep. point. How how many times can you race that ski before before it needs to you know be retired? Uh, so a ski like that, you you won't touch until Vangen comes yeah. around on the on the World Cup circuit. Um, you'll basically save it for that race, knowing that it has performed the last you know three or four years there for you and your athlete. You're not gonna risk that ski at you know like Lake Louise where it's flat and icy. It's a more it's a more gliding course. Uh, or I guess Fangen is a gliding course too, but um, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't risk ruining that ski. You know, if you if you crash and fall and you bend the ski, then you know that that ski's done. And yeah. so with a rocket ship like this or a speed wagon, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna save that puppy. Is that the technical term, the speed wagon? Yeah, the speed wagon. The Fangen speed wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so back to tuning. Back to tuning. Yeah, yeah. We were, I think we were talking about edges. Or... Yeah, so edges. So anyway, uh, setting up edges. So we, we started out with the um, the big machines, and then we went to the handheld machines. And then there's the traditional way of just using a file guide and a file, um, which is great. And, you know, it's tried and true. It's what pretty much anyone will learn how to tune a ski with. Um, so there's, yeah, there's different, uh, file guide edge angles. So there's like, uh, there's a one degree, two degree, three degree, four degree. You know, I have a six degree that sometimes I break out and to, to prep a ski with, um, we can get that into that later of what I use a six degree for, but for the most part for race skis, you're going to use a three degree. Um, and this is we're specifically talking about the side, right? The now. side edge. Yeah. Correct. And basically, you know, it depends on what ski manufacturer you have, but um, it, I believe, you know, our skis at head, our, our fist skis, the side edge actually comes out raw. So raw meaning that it's not set at all, just the base edge is set. And so you're definitely going to want to set the edge before you ski on those skis. Um, and a pretty easy, you know, if you have really good light in your tuning room, you can usually see where you've pulled the edge, meaning uh, like you've taken off some material of that side edge. And eventually you can see that the whole the whole edge has been cut and has been set to three degrees. And that's going to take you, you know, a couple, definitely a couple passes, a couple times down the ski. Um, you know, a really good trick too is to use a sharpie, and you you basically put a sharpie, run a sharpie down the the whole edge, and then you know, obviously, you can see when the the black sharpie comes off the edge, then you know that you've been actually pulling off material, and you can see where the edge has been truly set to a, a three degree all the way through and through, or you know, maybe you've just taken off. A little bit towards the the side of the edge. Yeah. So what I mean, what's what's the motivation for the side? If, if I think if we're just going to talk about side edge angles right now, what's the motivation for putting an, an an angle on the side edge, and how would how do you go about deciding that? I mean, three it sounds like you said three degrees is sort of standard for racing, but yeah. So so basically when you think about an edge right so there's the base edge and the side edge and what you're trying to obtain is the sharpest edge so 
let's just for simplicity's sake, let's just say you're gonna always have a 0.5 of a degree on the base edge, right? So you're basically, you're bringing that edge down on the base. Um, and then on the side edge, you're putting a three degree on there. Or let's say, let's start with a two degree. So you have 0.5 and two. So that's gonna ski, you know, most, uh, advanced skiers, intermediate to advanced skiers are going to like that too. And that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a little bit tight on the base edge, but for the most part, they're going to say, wow, that's a, that's a pretty nicely tuned ski. As soon as you go up to 0.5 and a three degree, you know, that point of where the base edge and the side edge meet each other, you know, so that right angle, it's now not a right angle, but that's a, that's a finer point. So now it's going to be sharper, but it also means that it's going to uh, be, it's going to get dull quicker. And then, you know, some World Cup skiers, some, uh, you know, Continental Cup skiers, so like Europa Cup or Noram Cup, are going to use a four degree in slalom. So they're going to have 0.5 on the base and four degree. And so that's going to, that's going to allow them to uh, make a quicker turn, a shorter radius turn. But again, that ski is going to get duller quicker. So... They okay. might only do, you know, a tra- in a training session, maybe four runs on that pair of skis, and then that's basically those pair. That's pair of skis is toast. It's uh, it's it's no longer gonna be sharp for the, for but the training just, conditions. But you just put put a, a new edge on it. It's not yeah. like the ski. It's not like the Vangen ski where we're. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. But basically, you would you would show up to a training session with you know two or three pairs of slalom skis, and then you know, switch out the skis and then go home and retune them sure. for the next training day. So, so in general, would it be safe to say that the greater the angle on the base, sort of the looser the ski is going to feel? Yeah. And then, and then the greater the angle on the side, the sharper the ski is going to feel. Yeah. yeah. And just with the, with the base uh, angle, it's the, saying it's looser doesn't kind of sounds like it's uh less advanced it's just it's um it will be easier to roll the ski up on edge and create a turn right with with uh let's say like a one degree on the base so like a lot of retail skis or what you'd get at a local shop right um let's say i'm just a weekend warrior going to Keystone with my family and I want to get a tune before the season starts. They're probably going to put a one degree on the base and a two degree on the side is what okay. I'm guessing. Yep. And and so if the more of an angle we put on the base, the less impact that side is, right? Like a, a, a one degree on the base and a two on the side would come out to be a, what an 89 degree yeah. corner. Yeah. So if so I mean, is is that absolute angle of the edge, the combination of the base and side, is that something that you guys take into account at all? Or um, you know, I I've never really heard it, uh, heard people talk about it like that, uh, an absolute angle. It's you basically you you look at it as two different. Uh, two different systems, two different sure. identities, basically, um, and it's so, uh, it's it's so accustomed to everyone to have a 0.5 like 0.5 on the base is just what people run in, in technical events so giant slalom slalom okay um that's pretty pretty much through and through you know starting from like a u12 or u14 racer all the way up to a world cup racer i mean there's certain certain things that a world cup racer might do differently but we can 
get into that later or we can get into it now. yeah let's get into it now so <laughs> first on that note is when do you break out the six degree side uh six degree side so when when you're prepping uh, a ski um sometimes they're depending on the ski there's either a second edge or there's definitely some sidewall material that you need to pull and so uh, and basically you're you're breaking down or you're you're removing the sidewall material or that second edge material so you can get to the to the edge so what is the second edge is it basically just a piece of tetanol uh i wouldn't call it that i think it's just a way to to bond the edge to to the ski um okay. more cohesively i guess um but Anyway, the second edge and the sidewall material need to be removed. Um, and I think it, it just depends on, you know, the construction of the ski and how they're going to lay it up. Sure. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the six degree uh, file guide is great to remove that sidewall material. Um, but then when it actually comes to touching the real edge of the ski, you're not yeah, going to use that. No, no. And then you'd. So basically, you're you're creating room so you can get a clean cut with like a three degree. Yeah. Um, but you know, some people use uh, a sidewall tool, a sidewall remover, which I use as well. But um, sometimes that that six degree is kind of you know like the the old wise wizard's way of doing it, <laughs> <laughs> old school way of doing it, and it's good for the tips and the tails as well to just kind of remove some of the top sheet as well. Um, but uh, so anyway, there's some World Cup skiers that do use uh, different edge angles. Uh, I know, I think Marcel Herscher, uh, it's rumored that he uses a five degree in slalom. It's but, rumored. Yeah, there's always these his, dark his, his rumors. His tech is very tight lipped. Yeah, very tight lipped. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be careful of some of these guys, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> should, should, should I be worried about publishing this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're in the clear. <laughs> um, no, so I think he uses a five degree, which is a pretty. That's very aggressive. You know, that's that ski's gonna get dull very quickly. Uh, it's gonna be a very very fast initiation of the turn um personally i don't think i've ever skied on a five degree ski before <laughs> i mean is, is that the kind of thing where you're going to be able to tell that it's sharper at the top of the yeah top of the lap than the, than at the bottom uh probably if it's a really icy course like an injected course i bet by the end of you know like a 60 gate psalm which is the typical length of a psalm course it's going to be um you're gonna notice that it's a little bit duller, and so again, this is where Hersher would go to a training session with probably six pairs of slalom skis, all race ready, all tuned, you know, professionally ready to go. You know, some people use a five degree. You know, Hersher is just the example that I've I've heard of in my travels and <laughs> my time in this ski, in this crazy ski racing world. But uh, you know, some people will will feather the the base edge so maybe they'll do flat on the tip in the tail and then basically like feather it into a 0.5 or maybe they'll do like 0.25 on the tip in the tail and interesting and that's all about feel right and, yeah yeah and people get these weird quirky ideas in their head of like oh i really need it uh i really need a, a flatter uh, or like a 0.25 on the tip in the tail because that's what i've always done um, you know, how, how long does that base edge actually stay 
two five and the tip and the tail. I'm not sure um, because you know when they are skiing on these pretty aggressive surfaces, these icy surfaces, um, over time the the base edge is going to uh, become greater. So you start yeah. the season at a point five and you're consistently skiing on ice. You know a month later these techs are checking the base bevels constantly and. I can almost guarantee you that base bevel is greater than 0.5. We're probably looking at like 0.7 to one. Okay. Um, and these guys will be able to tell the difference, uh, especially the World Cup racers. If if the idea is to say like we're going to do 0.25 at the tip and tail and point feather to 0.5 in, in the middle, yeah. How much of that is coming directly from the athlete or coming from the tune tech? I mean, does the athletes? I mean, I guess how hands on are the athletes in their actual tunes? Uh, I think it, it kind of depends on athlete to athlete and uh, this partnership between the tech and the athlete. Um, you know, someone like Ted Ligety and Alex Martin. Alex Martin is Ted's tech and has been for probably you know ten years now. I mean, they obviously have a very very good relationship, um, and I think now they've they've kind of sorted out how Ted wants his skis tuned, um, whereas. So uh, to clarify, Alex is a, a factory technician, and he just has one athlete, right? So he's hired by head, and then he is partnered, or he's basically uh, sent to Ted, or yep, yep. assigned to Ted. Um, but then, you know, on the U.S. ski team, the U.S. ski team might hire a technician, and then he might have you know four guys. Um, and that's that's what you'll see at the younger level. So like the B team or the C team, not necessarily the World Cup A team. Um, and so th at that point, the technician or um, the the athlete, they they're still trying to work out their relationship. They're trying to work out how they like the skis to be tuned. So this actually kind of goes back to you know a snow glide that handheld machine versus hand tuning. Um, some athletes might like the the feel of a ski when it when it has been uh, snow glided versus hand tuned, okay. um, and it, you know, and some of it's in their head, <laughs> to be honest, and superstition, um, and some of it is actual feel, and you know, maybe maybe they are faster with a certain tune, or maybe they feel better, or they can get better grip on certain surfaces. Um, it just it it totally depends on the athlete. So, so the relationship is kind of like golfer to caddy. Exactly, exactly, um, and it, it's pretty funny. You know, uh, I'm trying to think who was the tech. Uh, Didier Kouch, just famous speed skier, um, retired a couple of years ago. But him and his tech were unstoppable for for a couple of years. I mean, it's. I think uh, a lot of it, you know, comes comes with uh trusting one another or you know when you're in the start gate you trust that the tech has uh prepared the skis perfectly they've picked the right wax for race day they picked the right ski for the venue right for the right race um you don't want to and, pull the vangan ski out at lake louise and i think i think all of that uh you know you you kind of you form your own little mini team there you know like golfer like golfer and caddy um and there's just good, good energy, good vibes going, yeah. going for that team. And uh, you can, you can really see when people uh, get momentum together. And you know that's when, 
you'll see them uh, continue on and continue down a long road, like Ted and Alex, for example. Yeah. They've been together for a long time now. Um, where, you're, where, you know, some people, maybe they had a bad year and, you know, maybe they just weren't, they weren't in it and in the right headspace for the World Cup season. So they had a bad year and it had nothing to do with the tech, but maybe they blame the tech and complain and get a new one. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that can go into that. But. Mm. One of the first pieces of tuning equipment I ever got as a skier was a polishing stone, which I feel like probably was a little bit of a ridiculous thing um, to start with, but I don't think I've ever properly used it. Can you talk a little bit about edge polishing and the way that the way that, that works and the benefits of it? Yeah, so uh, an edge polishing stone, you're usually going to have like a, it's, it's called an Arkansas stone or a ceramic stone, or typically the polishing stones that you'll find. Uh, that's kind of the last uh, the last thing that you'll do the, to an edge. So first, you'll let's just use a, a hand tuning uh, scenario where first you'll you'll pull a file on the edge, right? And so that right now the edge is pretty rough, and then you'll you'll start using a series of stones. So stones can go from you know like a hundred grit to like 100, 200, 400, 600, right? And just depending on your level. Um, so like a, a ski racer is probably going to go through the series of stones and then end with that polishing stone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back to what I said earlier, this is like sharpening a knife and the idea is for it to be completely smooth. Um, so the polishing stone is the last the last stone that you're going to use. Um, and it's also, it's a stone that you could carry around in your pocket. And let's say you did a couple runs and you felt like you needed a little fresh tune. You could just pull that thing out and run it over the edge. Cause it's such a, it's such a fine, I mean, it's a polishing stone. So you're not, you're not necessarily going to take uh, any material off. So even just freehanding it and running it over the edge. It's it's gonna be fine. Makes you think that your skis are faster. Yeah, <laughs> placebo. It's all about placebo. Um, yeah. So actually, the a funny story. I was in Austria once racing, and it was on a super icy course. You know, the first day I think I did awful. My skis weren't tuned properly because I was I was still pretty young. I was still learning learning the ways of of these techs. <laughs> but anyway, I was there with this this Austrian guy and. Um, he came he came down to the tuning room and he was looking at my skis and he took a piece of toilet paper and he basically just ran it along the edge and every burr that was on the edge so basically any rough spot on the edge that i didn't already take out by going through the series of stones um you could see it cut the cut the toilet paper and so that that was kind of a lesson or like a big momentous event in my ski tuning um career, if you will, uh, that, you know, these, these techs are truly looking for a completely smooth, polished, um, edge. And that's, what's going to allow a world cup racer to have grip on ice. As soon as there's a little burr, you hit a rock or something. Um, that's when you're going to lose, uh, some sort of like contact to the, to the snow or it's, it's the, the ski's not going to be able to cut into the ice as well as it would if it's completely smooth. So yeah, the old toilet paper trick is a good one. <laughs> good to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I think about is 
detuning. Is that something that happens on the World Cup at all, or are these skis razor sharp, tip to tail? Yeah, um, it kind of depends on, again, the athlete and what their preference is, um, as well as the snow condition. So, you know, most of these courses, most of the World Cup courses are injected or, or prepped. And uh, just for the listeners at home, uh, injection is essentially shooting water into a trail. So just making the snow better. Making basically. making it icy, making it an <laughs> ice rink. Um, and so it's, it's pretty funny. You can, you'll hear stories of injection going wrong and all of a sudden it literally is an ice rink. <laughs> so that's... That's brutal. That's never fun for anyone. But uh, yeah, so uh, an example is early season training here in Colorado. It's all man-made snow and it's super dry, so it's really, really grippy. So let's say the Norwegian team is here training or the U.S. ski team is here training on this pretty grippy or aggressive snow, right? It's very easy to get your edges in the snow and make turns. At, at copper here yes there's probably some detuning going on um okay. and they're definitely yeah probably on the tips and the tails um as well as just you know overall that ski's not going to be as sharp as it would be if they were training on ice in europe because it just doesn't need to be yeah exactly yeah. it doesn't need to be um you know when it when it is super icy there's no way that they're detuning that ski um you know something i would do personally when i was racing is i would always i would have a right ski and a left ski and i would detune my tips and tails on my outside edges okay because when i was basically coming through a turn like at the end of a turn let's say end of a right footer turn my left foot um, I didn't want hooking it. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated that feeling of it yeah. hooking up. So I would, I was kind of weird like that, where I didn't, where I would detune the outsides. But uh, I didn't. I don't know too many other people that do that. Interesting. Well, that, that that that's kind of, you know, sort of the idea on a lot of these weird asymmetric ski shapes that are yeah. coming out now. You know, like for instance, the 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 Blizzard Spur, those outside edges. Yeah. There's. They, they come in so hard at the tips and there's none of that hookiness yeah. on that uphill ski, which is nice on a wide ski because when it's wide and way out there, I feel like there is some of that. Yeah. But that's that that's interesting. Yeah. I'd like to ski that ski in Alaska. <laughs> that's a that's it's a wild it's a yeah, wild ski. It's a yeah. Big, big guy. Yeah, I, I got to ski it in Niseko for a bit. Oh, wow. Just like bottomless is pretty great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about is base prep. You know, like if, if I go into my, in my into my local shop, they're gonna try and sell me you know a base cleaner, whatever before I before I put wax on. Is that kind of the same stuff that you guys are, are seeing on 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 these race circuits? Uh, yes and no. I mean, most the the idea behind a base cleaner or or let's say regrinding your skis is that you've been skiing in dirty snow. So, you know, let's say it's April and you, you ski down to the bottom of a mountain, the snow's pretty dirty, right? It's, it's accumulated some dirt. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And so that dirt definitely gets in the bases um, and is going to affect the base of your ski. So, uh, you know, yes, yes and no, base cleaner is good <laughs> to, to get all that crap out of your ski. Um, you know, hot scrapings, um, 
a good idea as well. Um, so basically, you you put a layer of wax on the ski and then you scrape it off right away. And the idea behind that is to get all of that crap out of your ski. Um, and then brushing the ski as well that helps a lot to um, you know pull. You're basically trying to pull the wax or pull the dirt out of the ski. So you mean brushing before you would you would yeah. wax it, yeah. Yeah. So I guess starting from the beginning, you'd basically, let's say you just got done skiing. Uh, you'd, you'd bring your skis back home, dry them off, make sure they're all nice and dry. Then you'd tune them. And then it's time to wax them. You would start out by using a pretty aggressive brush, so like a steel brush or brass brush, a metal brush. Um, and you'd brush the ski for a couple passes, and you'd be able to see, or you'd be surprised of how much wax you'd see come out, or you know, just some of that dirt or whatever else might have gotten in there. Sure. Um, and then you you would maybe hot scrape if you you felt the need to or felt like I just skied over a lot of dirt. Um, but for the most part, you would basically brush the ski. Then you could use anything from a you know I think Swix sells a a base uh, like a base towel paper towel type of thing to wipe the base clean of all the stuff that you basically brought to the surface from brushing. Or you could just use a paper towel. I mean, that, <laughs> that works pretty well, too. Uh, but basically, you you wouldn't want any of that stuff on the base. And then, yeah, you'd go ahead and, and wax that ski. OK, so so that idea of brushing, hot scraping, that kind of negates the need for like one of these chemical base cleaners? Yeah, you know, I, I have seen it in World Cup. Uh, like tech rooms where, where these technicians are. Um, I've seen it in their boxes. So I know that they do use it, but uh, I think the brushing and hot scraping is, is just fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so probably one of the most mysterious things for me about ski tuning and ski prep has got to be base structure. We talked about it a little bit earlier with the, the cinnamon roll and uh, different base materials. So there are colder bases and warmer bases um, you'll see that in speed skis where you'll, you'll have like you know midwinter speed skis versus uh, springtime speed ski of warmer base um, and that's a, that's like a, an actually a different polymer base yeah. a different plastic yep correct and then you'll also see different grinds on those bases so um, there's basically a lineal pattern as well as like a cross pattern is are kind of the two typical ones mm -hmm. uh, lineal you'll see mostly on speed skis where that cross pattern and different variations of the cross pattern you'll see on the tech skis or on a retail ski so so well. when you say lineal this is this is structure that kind of runs north south on, yeah. on the ski base and cross yeah. is that traditional cross, yeah. like, you know diagonal yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, the the idea behind putting structure into the ski is um, when you're when you're sliding over snow, when you're skiing down a mountain, you're creating friction with the snow, and then so the snow is heating up in that water and turning into water, and that water needs some place to go. So uh, I, I believe that if a ski did not have any structure and was completely flat, you would you would feel some sort of like suction between the snow and the Interesting. ski. Interesting. So in my head, I was imagining kind of hydroplaning almost, yeah, like yeah. on a bald I, tire, but I, but I, I can kind of see the suction yeah. too, I guess. But, I, well, I think, the, so the, the idea behind the, 
the behind putting structure in the ski is so you basically do hydroplane. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so the idea is to get the the water or give the water some place to go, um, and basically like get out of the ski's way or you know. Yeah, I guess get out of the ski's way. And so there's all sorts of different structures, um, and that depends on the time of year and what the snow is doing. So a midwinter snow, the, the snow crystals are going to be really small and fine because it's still cold out and you know less moisture, whereas in the spring, the snow crystals are going to be really big. Um, that happens through like a freeze-thaw cycle that you see in the spring where those crystals will start to bond together and create bigger and coarser crystals. So in the springtime, you want uh, a pattern that's deeper, a deeper structure in the ski. Okay. Um, and that that has uh, you know been proven or been tested to uh, bode well with a deeper structure. Um, whereas in the winter, you're going to see a little less structure because those crystals are finer. Um, so you don't need to put as much structure into the base of the ski. And then there's all sorts of different patterns. Um, it's actually pretty fun to mess around with a, um, with a stone grinding machine and cutting different patterns into the stone. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so many different things you can do. So like, so if I had a, a lineal like a pretty a pretty deep lineal structure, let's say, on my base, and then in like a, a equally deep cross, some sort of cross structure, like kind of two two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. How would those two skis feel different rather than just being faster? I guess in the in the proper snow. So I think if you if you had a really deep structure and it was midwinter, it's so like a springtime grind. Um, I think you would. You would feel stuck in the turn. You would feel like okay. you couldn't get off the ski. Um, whereas that lineal, finer structure, um, you would be able to. It, it would feel normal because it would be probably the proper um, grind for the winter conditions. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can grinds definitely play a huge role in how skis ski. Um, you can definitely, you know, you could give someone a, a bad grind or a, a grind not for the conditions. And I'm sure that they'd probably go out and not have a very good time yeah. on it. Um, yeah. So it's definitely something to look look at um, and be aware of. You know, it's like riding riding bikes and having different uh, tire tread. Sure. You know, if, if depending on where you're riding, if it's muddy conditions versus not muddy conditions. Um, you know, roots, no roots, stuff like that. That's um, yeah, so, pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fascinating because it, it seems like, I mean, you just get a, I mean, most people just get a ski and they like, I, they get it tuned. Like, it's something I just never, ever thought about. I would look at it and be like, oh, there's structure in this base, must be a good tune. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's about all I got, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, for the most part, let's just, just uh, like break it down to retail skis. Um, you know, all these companies are putting a lot of research and development into into these skis and they're trying to put out a finished product right so you can basically run it right out of the store um and so like i know like here at head we do finish our skis and put structure uh on the bases and you know typically it's a it's a pretty uh 
like middle road structure. So it's mm. going to work year round. Sure. Um, is basically what we're shooting for. We're trying to uh, ease the customer's burden of bringing it into a shop, I guess. Um, whereas, you know, a race ski, <clears throat> you know, our, all of our race skis come out with a phenomenal grind on them. It's the same grind that the World Cup race room is using. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, it just depends on, you know, did you burn the ski did you hit a rock do you need to get get the ski flattened and grind to get some of those uh like striations out of out of the base of the ski so um for the most part um i would say yeah every every ski that you would see on a wall in a ski shop probably has a pretty nice grind on it interesting <laughs> Some, someday I'll have to experiment skiing different yeah. base structures because <laughs> I'm still having a hard time conceptualizing how the yeah. different ones are going to feel and all that but I guess I've only ever been on one ski where I thought the base structure was weird but honestly it could have been, been absolutely anything yeah who knows what it was so we could probably do an entire podcast on wax, I think, and and I think we probably will at some point. Um, but can we talk a little bit about wax selection and maybe what makes one wax better in certain conditions over others? You know, what properties of it actually contribute to that? Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of different waxes. Um, starting out with the simplest one is mostly, I think. You know, the three big wax companies in the U.S. are Holman, Cole, Toco, and Swix, as far as ski racing waxes. Um, all of them make a base prep wax, which is, you know, just a, a hydrocarbon wax, so no fluor fluorinated um, components in, in the wax. And that's basically just to, you know, give give the base some juice, if you will. Give it give it some water. Water the base, a little, watering a plant, right? Water the base a little bit. And you're basically, you're just trying to put in layers into the base um, so it stays, you, you never dry out the base. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest thing that you're trying to uh, combat throughout the season is not drying out your base. So using sure. the base prep wax is setting the baseline for the season. Um, so yeah, so there's base prep wax and then moving into hydrocarbon waxes. So with Swix, this is like a CH6, CH7, CH8. Um, I think with Toco, it's just like Toco red or Toco blue, Toco yellow. With Home and Cole, it's beta, alpha, and ultra. And those are just, uh, you know, like everyday waxes. They're great for a consumer. Um, it's what you'd use if you were just training. And sorry, um, are these fluorinated or non-fluorinated? Non-fluorinated. Right, so right. we call them like hydro, hydrocarbon yep. waxes. So non-fluorinated, so they're, they're not too expensive, which is good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're going to use those every day, uh, kind of day in, day out, training wax. Um, and all those different, uh, so like let's take Holman Cole, for example. Ultra is blue and it's really cold. So, you know, in January, you're going to use probably, you're probably going to use a lot of ultra. Uh, beta is red. It's the middle temperature range. Um, so you kind of use that, you know, maybe you use it in the middle of winter, just depending on how cold it is. Sure. And then alpha, you're really only going to use in the springtime when it's super warm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I want to use ultra all the time because it's obviously <laughs> the fastest. <laughs> it's not, not necessarily the fastest. <laughs> but so what makes ultra a cold temp wax? Is it, is it, is the wax, is it harder or different uh, melting it's point or what? Definitely. It's, it's harder and the melting point is, uh, higher 
So it's actually it's, it's a pretty big pain in the butt to <laughs> wax with cold waxes. Um, but yeah, so I guess all the the components or all the um, elements in the wax are just they're they're geared to that colder environment. Um, so it's it's in uh, correlation to how cold the snow is, and that's usually in correlation of you know has a cold front moved through the area at the time. Um, another big thing when you're talking about waxing is new snow versus old snow, where new snow is going to have more moisture in it, typically. Um, and then that's when you really want to use a fluorinated wax. So a fluorinated wax is you know, typically known as being a faster wax. It's more expensive, but it also it, uh, allows the, the water to basically beat off the ski. Um, so okay. that kind of goes back to the structure thing where you want, you want the water, you want the snow to surpass the ski. You don't want it to, you want to create less friction there. Um, <clears throat> so the fluorinated wax is the next step um, or again, it, it's good for new snow. It's good for race day. You're going to see a lot of fluorinated wax with, uh, waxes on race day. Um, and again, there's different temperature ranges with that. Um, there's something called, uh, graphite that you can have in a fluorinated wax as well. Um, sometimes graphite will be used when it's super duper cold. So like at Lake Louise and that basically just, um, takes away any like static or friction. So uh, I don't know if you ever had that feeling when let's say you're walking to the base of a lift and it's really cold when the snow is really squeaky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, that means that there's like a lot of static in the snow. Um, so that's when you'd use the graphite wax, which is kind of a, a special fluorinated wax. Um, and then yeah, there's overlays. So okay. an overlay is, uh, just like basically purely fluorocarbons and so sounds you, great for the environment yeah really good for the environment. <laughs> you would wax the ski race wax the ski right scrape it brush the heck out of it and then maybe at the start or maybe uh the morning of the race and you're in your tuning room you would apply this uh overlay and basically an overlay is just uh it's a it's a you know, it comes in a spray form. It could be a block that you just uh, like crayon on to okay, the base yeah. of the ski. And then you'd use a cork to rub it into the ski and then you brush it out. And that basically gets you from like the starting gate to the second gate. You know, it's just that yeah. first like 10 yeah. seconds and it just is a little boost, a little rocket boost at the beginning of the race. It's like Nas and Fast yeah. and the Furious, yes, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean the the environment stuff is a whole nother story. Um, and Swix is actually doing some pretty cool stuff with that, where they're choosing not to bring in fluorocarbons in the U.S. anymore. So so, are there any any World Cup racers who aren't using fluorinated waxes? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, that, there's so much money yeah. that, that's on the line, and you know their their careers and stuff that they're not thinking about the environment. So it seems a bit like me that. That the, that the tune on the ski is not exactly a science, but much more of a science than the waxes. Is, is, is wax kind of this like Mr. Miyagi kind of art form where the where like it, tune tech separate the men from the boys sort of thing? 
A little bit. I mean, like I, uh, my first story, I think it was my first story um, of using all the different, uh, or starting out with all the different skis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it comes from that initial work of finding the fast skis and then also uh, putting enough layers of wax into them. Okay. Um, and I think that's what, you know, as a, as like a continental cup level skier so you're not quite at the world cup yet you know you're always looking for these really fast skis but at the end of the day it's what makes these skis super fast is that these techs wax these skis you know throughout the whole summer that's their job they're literally at a tuning bench waxing skis and that's just so that 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 you're getting wax to penetrate the pore structure of the base right exactly as, exactly. as deeply as possible yep as deeply as possible. Um, so it obviously takes a lot of time. Um, and most athletes don't want to spend that time or, you know, they, they're not a tech, they're an athlete. So they're spending that time in the gym. They're spending that time on snow training. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily have the time, uh, to, to put that many layers. I mean, does, does ski. Ted Ligety ever put wax on his own skis? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, we should call him and ask. Should we call him? Let's call him up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ted, when's the last time you wax? <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, everyone grows as a ski racer, everyone grows up learning how to tune and wax. And, um, and, and again, that goes back to, uh, the relationship between a tech and a, and an athlete. Most athletes, if they've gotten to that level, I can almost guarantee you they're pretty good at tuning and waxing and they can kind of tell the tech what they want. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I, I can't remember. It, it, it must've been the Olympics a few years ago. I'm watching the Olympics. I think it was Lindsey Vaughn on a downhill and they talk about, she gets to the bottom and she like is upset or I don't even know. She somehow she burned her base. Yeah. I don't know really what that means, and they did a terrible job of explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, when you burn your base, it's because uh, either you waxed too uh, too warm, so there wasn't enough like hard wax in the base of the ski to protect the ski, or it's just you know a perfect combination of uh, you either. Or I get the perfect combination of the snow being really aggressive and really hard. So maybe those crystals are really hard um, or it's super icy. And you, yeah, you basically didn't wax properly to protect the base. So what happens is um, right along the edge on the base of the ski, it looks like it just got eroded, like chewed away. Um, and so that basically ruins a pair of skis. I mean, how, how does that even happen? It's it's when you go eighty miles an hour, I guess. <laughs> like and, and that so it's, skis it's, on edge. It's just and, friction. Yeah, it's just friction. Um, and yeah, it just it, it literally erodes the base. It's uh, it's and it's really there's almost no way to bring that ski back. Um, as soon as you burn a ski, it's kind of done. Um, so that's why, like Lindsey Vaughn, she probably had a pair of speed wagons out, you know. <laughs> she, she ruined one one pair of speed wagons. Yeah. Uh, so there's something that ski companies will do to combat that, and basically they'll lay up uh, a base when they're when they are laying up a ski, and they'll take out uh, part of the base along the edges, like right underneath the foot, uh, basically the length of uh, where the plate and the binding is. And that will be about 
I'd say like a centimeter wide, and those are called inserts. And so an insert is just a much harder material, and that's basically going to help prevent base burn. So a lot of skis, you'll see it have inserts. Um, yeah, that that helps uh, with the base burn, and it's just it's just a harder material. So a lot of retail skis are going to use a harder material to prevent stuff like that happening. And also, um, you know, you could go over or hit a rock, and it's not going to ding the base as as bad as a race ski would, because um, a race ski is using a little bit softer of a material. So, like, so, so when I when I get a ski and it says, you know, race base, Duraserf, whatever, blah yeah. blah blah, is that is that a legitimate race base on a on a retail ski or or not really? Uh, I think it, oh, it kind of depends on the company, but I I bet like on our Super Shape line or on our iSpeed Speed Pros, it is a actually sure. it is yeah, the yeah. same material, um, same race base, uh, but like on a core ski, that's going to be a different material. Yeah. So will I ever ski fast enough to burn to burn a base? <laughs> I think that's up to you and your confidence. <laughs> so no. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's really uh, you know it's a combination of things. You know, speed, the the type of snow, and what you waxed, and um, it's it's actually a pretty. <laughs> it sucks when it ha- it happened to me a couple of times when I was racing, and it sucks because once it happens a little bit, it's just going to happen even more because. Basically, the snow is already in there. In there, yeah. like it already chipped away at it, and so it's easier for it to get even more burnt. Um, so, is I mean, is it? I mean, the word is burn. Is it actually heat? It's it's got to be. I, I guess so. <laughs> with with friction, yeah. I think it. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Goal for next season for me. <laughs> Achieve base burn. Just gonna not wax my skis. <laughs> Oh man. So I guess we can probably have this kind of be the last question actually. Um we we briefly touched on this earlier but how sensitive are athletes actually to tune? You know, if what at what level of a, a degree change on a base or a side is an athlete going to be able to be like, "Come on, man." <laughs> yeah. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it depends on the athlete and the athlete's touch on the snow. Um, I would say the majority of like the top 30 on the World Cup can probably feel it. Uh, it definitely helps if it's a consistent snow surface. Um, uh, but yeah, I would say for the for the most part, people can tell um like like they could tell a half degree or a tenth of a degree or uh maybe not a tenth yeah. but you know like what, what i was talking about before with the slalom skis and the base edge of maybe feathering something mm. i think that they would be able to tell that um definitely between like a 0.5 and a, and a one degree on the base they'd be able to tell that um it, you know when you when you go test something like let's say i'm I'm a ski racer. Uh, I'm whatever testing a new company's product, right? When you go out and test, you're going to, and you're at that World Cup level. You're going to be by yourself, you know, timing um, to time every run, and you're going to be on a course by yourself. So it's going to be a pretty consistent test, right? The idea is to have complete consistency. Sure. Um, and so, like. If I, if I was testing between equipment 
I'd want that, but as well as if I was testing different edge angles or a different setup in my equipment, whether, you know, boots, I don't know, yeah, but different edge angles. Um, I would probably be able to, or the World Cup racer would definitely be able to tell between, I don't, maybe not, not a 10th, but um, definitely different setups. Yeah. And then that's why you have the clock on you, because then you can see, like, oh, that didn't feel as good, but I was way faster. And then that's when it goes back to the, the relationship between the tech and the coach and the athlete where like, well, you know, you, you look the same. Um, it might have not felt as good, but you were faster. Let's, let's go down this path and see, you know, if we can get you feeling good because you are faster with that setup. And this is why we have superstitions, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All sorts of superstitions. Uh, well, thanks, Cameron. Yeah. I learned a lot. I do think this podcast might have raised more questions than it actually answered for me. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm excited to go explore that further down the line. But thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, I think we're going to have to come back some other time and do a little bit of hands-on tuning, I think. Agreed. Well, thank you for your time and uh, thank you to all the listeners. That's it for this episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Cameron for the conversation, Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, please spread the word to your gearhead friends. Be safe out there and we'll talk to you again next week.